All right, Michael, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Yeah, man, of course. 100. So let's just start all the way back at the beginning, because what really fascinates me is the musical journey you've been on. So I want to know how you started out in the scene in general. For example, what was your local scene like growing up? What was it like going to shows when you were younger? Um. Okay, so yeah, uh, the first shows I went to were when I was in like sixth grade. I grew up in um, North County, San Diego, like Vista, Oceanside area. And uh, yeah, I found out through like shows through uh, like skateboarding and, um, you know, older kids at uh, the skate park would just listen to like heavier music or whatever, you know, so when I was younger. So I found out about a lot of things when I was around, I don't know, maybe like 10 or something like that. I think the first like show show I went to was when I was about yeah 10 or something like that. And then um, which was like pop punk and then i heard metal and stuff you know all that stuff um but yeah i started playing guitar around then and then i moved to new mexico uh taos new mexico when i was like 11 and or 12 yeah 11 12 something like that and that place is really really small there's like five thousand people there so there is no scene really like that you know it's yeah. like in the rocky mountains like close to colorado and uh yes but so i had f f like friends too it was a lot of it was through skateboarding um and yeah we just kind of like started like punk bands and stuff there and would play like coffee houses and like the ski valley and stuff like that so like really small town type shit you know and yeah basically so i had didn't really have a local scene so i kind of had to build one and throw my own shows and stuff when i was like pretty young uh, so I kind of learned how, how to do that. And then, yeah, as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to LA and then, you know, started my band Goliath. That was kind of like how I got to that point. That makes sense. So, so naturally you really immersed yourself in playing music and you really built it out that way, as opposed to just going to shows. Yeah. Uh, my parents are musicians. My dad's a guitar player. Uh, my mom plays like percussion and like sings a bit. And they had like bands when I was a kid, which were like classic rock, like blues oriented kind of stuff. But uh, I still found out about a lot of music, like pretty young. Like I noticed pretty young that I I liked, I guess maybe more obscure music than stuff that was just on the radio than like a lot of kids who are around me. Cause I like found out about like black Sabbath and stuff like that pretty young. And then like, cause of that, you know, I found out about corn and stuff that was happening at the time and the uh, slipknot and deftones and all that stuff went out yeah so basically uh i got into it pretty young but a lot of it was from like skate videos and uh tony hawk's like the pro skater stuff too but a lot of it same with even like uh being into like hip-hop production stuff a lot of those um early skate videos like 411 videos and things like that had uh just instrumental versions of hip hop songs. So that was kind of how, what I learned what like a produ hip hop producer did because I heard the songs without, you know, rapping on it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of it was through skateboarding and like snowboard videos. And around what year was that? I'm curious. Cause I just had a conversation the other day with Jess Margera and we were talking about the CKY era of skateboarding and of music and how that, you know, connected with video games. What, what era was that for you around this what would, years? This would have been the late nineties. Okay. So I would have been probably like eight or so, I think. Okay. It's, 
I think that was probably eight. I would say eight was probably, so that would be like 98. Okay. Cause that was a really cool time period. I remember. So that kind of brings me to uh, a previous point where you were discussing Goliath. Tell me about what it was like during those years and your transition to winds of plague. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when I moved to um, LA from Taos, New Mexico, uh, I went to a recording school just, um, you know, really I wanted to like move to LA to start a deathcore band, honestly. And I had found out about metalcore and all that stuff via, there was like, I found out about the, like, they're like local, the local scene or, um, in San Diego, like North County, San Diego, which is where, you know, Blink-182 is from and where Azalea Dine is from and stuff like that, you know? Sure. So there was like, I found out that these bands were like, that the older kids, you know, who skated, um, which were like some metalhead kids and like some punk kids and stuff like that, that, um, the stuff they would play on the jukebox. I was like, Oh, some of these bands are from here. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so anyways, like, yeah, when I moved to back to LA, uh, after having like a death core band and stuff in Taos and when I was in high school that we used to play shows in Albuquerque and, you know, tra travel to do that. Um, I wanted to start a death core band out here and I met this, the singer of the band, uh, Corey, we were going to do a tour with his old band um, called Consider Her Dead and my old band um, from New Mexico. We were supposed to do a tour together and it didn't happen because we were just like high school kids trying to book like a tour, you know, just didn't, <laughs> didn't know what we were doing. Sure. Um, but yeah, so once like Goliath had started, they told me they needed like a guitar player for it. So I just kind of joined the band and then we recorded a an EP and it was kind of the first time I ever made music that like people legitimately liked, you know, more, like, I think some people liked my deathcore stuff from New Mexico, but you know, it was like a smaller scene, but this was like, you know, we were getting to like, we kind of rose to like being one of the more popular local bands, like pretty quickly uh, to where we were getting to open all like the bigger metalcore and deathcore shows in the SoCal area, like the LA, the IE um, orange County, playing chain reaction and a bunch of places, you know, I'd, I'd really only seen in uh, like videos and like document, you know, little, like documentary and live, live performance videos. Same. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool that, yeah, we kind of just developed a, a reputation pretty early, I guess. And then we started, then we started booking like our own tours and like, I really kind of gotten like the weeds on doing all that stuff yourself, you know? So once, once the opportunity happened to like join Winds of Plague, which was like, I even got in that position because uh, I used to work at um, or a studio with the old bass player, Andrew. So I knew Johnny and all them from playing shows with them and Goliath. And like, I was a fan of the band, you know, before I joined it, like I was like a big fan of theirs. And uh, I think it was just like convenient for, <laughs> for, to, for me to join because I knew how to like record and I knew how to do stuff like that. so. I was able to play the songs and they had seen me play and Goliath had gotten big enough at that point to where, uh, you know, I had like some like legitimate experience, like where Goliath kind of stopped was where we were starting to like open bigger tours. Like, but like at that point, the band, we were just all kind of exhausted of it because it was just so much work to do DIY stuff on your own. And we just weren't seeing the results we were hoping for, you know, and I don't know, just like no real personal anything. We we're actually friends and we like, we actually just started kind of like riffing ideas 
again together just for fun to see we'll probably release some new stuff but yes yeah, from that i uh yeah from that i was able to start playing with winds of plague so i was really lucky well winds of plague is amazing and i think it's interesting because you know you were really immersed in the scene for so long and that opens up this transition right around the mid 2000s excuse me the mid 2010s as i see it where you know alternative trap things of this nature are starting to become immensely popular. And that gets us into uh, basically music production and how you made that tr transition from Winds of Plague into doing beats, into music production. Tell me about that and how that began and around what year. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so f during this whole time, even like in Goliath and stuff, I had begun producing other bands like other local bands, I had been recording their EPs and stuff. And um, I have a lot of friends who are hip hop producers and like I have for a while. So uh, my friend John and my friend Gabe, who I grew up with in Taos, they like made beats the whole time. I, uh, I was like, you know, in bands and stuff. So I just would play guitar on their beats and uh because i already knew how to record and stuff you know i like pretty quickly like figured out how to uh you know i'd be like i could make this i could do this too in my own like kind of style so uh that was probably i think the first time i started making beats was probably around 2012 or so like and hip hop just was getting like darker and darker and like more alternative you know so i became I've always been into it, um, but I was into it in a more way like how I was into metal where like I just like dark music. So stuff like Odd Future and like ASAP Mob and um, Raider Clan and that sort of scene kind of appealed to me because it was like a I loved I liked Three Six Mafia a lot in high school. Mm. And that was kind of the rap I actually like did respond to the most. Um, so, yeah, that stuff was kind of the kind of beats I was going for, you know, but also having the metal background, I was kind of like adding like heavy guitars and just like weird stuff that eventually became cool. But at the time, like no one was really doing, not saying I like pioneered anything or anything. I was just kind of like, it's just like I was making heavy music at the time. And I was just kind of trying to figure out a way to like make rap. I liked, you know, I didn't think there would be anyone to go on these kind of beats, but yeah, after making uh production with my friends, yeah, I can't fuck John and my friend Gabe, and uh, my other friend, Jay Graham, too, who I lived with for a while, and he was a big producer. So he would that was a big eye opener, too, because he produced like Upper Echelon for like Travis Scott while I lived with him and st like, you know, stuff on like Days Before Rodeo. And he produced Broccoli and all kinds of amazing things where I kind of realized, OK, like I could do this, too. So luckily, as I was producing like the early alternative I'll just call it the alternative rap scene, you know, which is like the trap metal emo rap kind of vibe started happening. So I was able to produce for artists like Omen 13, Bones, uh, you know, Eddie Baker, um, Jay Green, like, you know, some of the schema posse people like that sort of that sort of scene. And that scene was just a lot of kids who were into like metal punk and like scene kids basically making sure. rap music. So I was able to kind of get in on the ground floor of that wave uh early and then a lot of those artists ended up getting popular so i, I just was kind of able to ride the wave of it you know 
No, that's very sensible. It, it was interesting because even going back to the 2000s, I remember when Amur came on the scene, I would say around 2006, 2007, it was very interesting because like for Deathcore, I could I could totally see that being the continuation of where Corn and Limp Biscuit for what they had started in the 90s. I kind of saw, I don't want to say I saw Amur carrying the torch, so to speak, but I saw how rap could have a place within the deathcore scene. But it wasn't until years later, especially when I came across your work and work of, you know, mutual friends that I realized, wow, like this is going to be huge. But I had always wanted it personally. Yeah, totally. I've always loved both styles of music and I love when they're blended together. And mm -hmm. some people find don't think they should be blended together, but I just like wholeheartedly disagree with it. Yeah. Um, I guess there is corny ways to do it and there isn't, but there is also really tasteful ways to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, no, totally agree. Like with stuff like Amir, I mean, in the early late or the late 2000s, like a lot of the bands looked like rappers, you know, like the dude, like the hats, the baggy clothes and stuff like, yep. so I never saw an issue with that. Cause I also loved like, Nowadays, it's a little different where deathcore is definitely has become embraced by the greater metal community. And I think that's partially because the people who are hating on it in the uh, late 2000s have aged out of caring about the Agreed. scene. They're like older, you know, so there isn't as much contention about it being like people would say it's not a genre of metal. And so like just crazy stuff that like makes no sense and has no like bearing in reality, you know, so. And, and partially it was because how they looked because at the time, like Lil Wayne was really popular and just that style of clothing was popular. So Deathcore, I think Deathcore kids maybe aired a little bit more on the side of being like kind of normal, not really like super eccentric with like the way they dressed in, in the same way that like scene kids were other than the swoopy hair. Agreed. Um, That's an interesting but, observation. Yeah. So like I always liked rap to like, too so like i always liked a lot of underground stuff at that time like atmosphere and jedi mind tricks and uh you know things like that um so i never really had an issue with the same issue that some metalheads seem to have with and like hardcore people seem to have with rap you know where i think now it's interesting where the tables have kind of turned where rappers look like they would be in like metal or punk bands when back then it was like metal or and punk bands kind of looked like they would be rappers so the two have kind of had like an interesting weave in throughout each other through history. Well, let's continue with that because when we're talking about industry changes and the way things have evolved and coalesced, in your view, how has the rap, emo, metal, trap scene evolved over the years? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I just feel like I kind of betted on the right horse where music comes in cycles and is a pretty actually predictable thing in what's going to be popular. So as soon as I saw like odd future, it kind of became clear to me that like, Oh, like rap, there's going to be like a lane in this that is going to be more alternative because one skateboarding being introduced and skate, not just skateboarding, but like skateboard fashion being becoming a big part of hip hop was very different than like, you know, the, which came before it, which was like the G unit sort of like really baggy stuff. Sure. Era. So it was kind of like a night and day thing. And then like trash talk being part of odd future, you know, it's, this became very like clear. And I randomly met ASAP Rocky at a behemoth show in like 2000, 
12, 11, something like that, when only like Peso and um, Purple Swag was out. And I liked those songs already and like knew, knew who he was and was like a fan. So he was just like standing in front of me and I was like, oh, wow, dude, like you're at a behemoth show. And he was just like, I love this European metal shit, you know? <laughs> and so like, I was just okay. Like I just kind of bet on the horse that like rap is going to get more influenced by metal. And then like the dressing then usually turns into like sonic influence, you know, which is what ended up happening uh, where with artists like Bones, Bones kind of in, inventing trap metal. And yep. then, uh, then artists like Scarlord, you know, who like I produced for too, kind of really like taking that one element of Bones of sound and like pushing it, you know, evolving that. And then also Bones kind of in pioneering emo rap and then artists like Peep and stuff like that, taking that side of it and pushing it, which is more like scene kid thing where, so as soon as like the emo thing started becoming very clear and obvious, you know, I love that kind of music and I like all I have since I was a young kid. So for me playing like emo riffs over trap beats was just like really easy and natural for me and vice versa with like playing uh metalcore riffs with like trap beats over it. Like it, it was, it was pretty easy, you know, for, it was a, something that I had been working on for a couple years before it got popular. So I already had like a back catalog of beats that sounded like that, that I was able to get placed, you know, with uh, other artists doing that. So I think, yeah, it's just, I think um, rappers developed, uh, have a respect for metal and hardcore that uh, maybe they hasn't, wasn't the case before or not even just a respect, but like an influence to where I think now a days it's more common, especially for like an alternative rapper um, to be more sonically in line with like emo or hardcore, like pop punk or something like that. And the way they sing and the way they approach music than it is for them to sound like, you know, Tupac or Biggie or be like actually more influenced by rap from the early two thousands, you know? So uh yeah to me it was just kind of the writing was on the wall way before it became the the largest form of music and always like the rule of thumb is always like whatever is the most popular style of underground music will eventually will become the most popular form of music and emo rap and like trap metal and all that stuff was very clearly the most popular form of underground music at the time so it was just, I guess a lot of people in the metal scene didn't see it, but I guess I was just lucky enough to have a foot in both worlds where it was pretty clear to me. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, you were incredibly prescient. I mean, there's no denying that you were a pioneer in merging that in a very effective way. So I guess that brings us to your collaborations because you, you had mentioned, you know, some of my favorite artists that you've worked with. Of course, you had mentioned scar lord bones uh juice world machine gun kelly could you speak to some of those experiences and maybe some of like your favorite insights yeah definitely uh, i appreciate the the praise um of course yeah uh you know bones uh was probably the maybe that i would say the first time that i felt like i should take this like really seriously like kind of like shift my dedication like from heavy music to or like metal to producing rap a lot uh and that's partially because one he's one of my favorite rappers ever 
just because he scratches all the itches for me, you know, it's really diverse is just like cool dude. Like, you know, he's been super chill with me like the whole time I've known him. Uh, we'd like to still talk, you know, on, on the internet and stuff pretty regularly. And uh, yeah, I just think he's a real forward thinker. So being able to have songs with him come out was like definitely a, a pretty cool moment for me. Um, especially being like a fan before his. And that was kind of when I was like, it's more than just like a hobby. You know, this is something I should, I should double down on. Um, yeah. Then, uh, you know, the juice, the juice world one was kind of lightning in a bottle. I've had a couple of lucky lightning in a bottle situations where um, me and my friend perps from 808 mafia, um, we were making, just making beats together. And the beat for won't let go, uh, just started as like a guitar riff that, um, I had come up with, you know, like perps came to my house and we were just kind of writing riffs and yeah, so it come up with that riff and, you know, then, uh, uh, he did the drums on it and luckily Max Lord, who is a uh, perps is like really good friend, you know, kind of became my good friend and he is juices engineer. So a lot of times to get to artists, the best way is through their engineer because the engineer kind of filters what they hear a lot of times, you know, like a lot of times people will send beats to the engineer, the engineer will play those for the artist. So Perps and him being close, luckily my beat made it to Juice's ears and he liked it and he made Walnut Go off it. So, and then that, you know, uh, got on Death Race for Love, which, you know, now is, it's really cool because it's like a classic album, you know, at this point. I think I saw like recently it was like the 54th biggest album of all time, which is crazy. That's wild. Yeah, yeah it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so then, uh, was, oh yeah, uh, MGK. Yeah, that was also like another kind of lightning in a bottle situation where I had like met him and hung out with him like a handful of times before that song was made. Um, so we already knew each other, but I really really liked like what he was doing in terms of just making a pop punk album with Travis Barker. Cause you know, I love blank one too. I uh, Travis in particular, you know, I had known Travis a little bit before that song was made too, and gotten to work with him and like go to his house and, you know, collaborate with him at his house and just like real bucket list kind of stuff, you know, where a lot of the reason I have a lot of tattoos is because like when I was eight, I saw Travis Barker and started drawing on myself because I thought he looked awesome. And I wanted to look like that when I was older. Sure. So it was like, a, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm good friends with his drummer, Rook. And I was just hanging out with Rook and we went to their house. When they always still live together. Uh, MGK's band and him. And yeah, uh, he was doing uh they have a little studio in the garage. So we were just doing a little session and MGK came in and the session kind of stopped like, abruptly for a second and there was some downtime so i was like well since we're here you know i might as well play you some instrumental ideas i had and funny tidbit like i had made this instrumental for sid and nancy um beforehand with my friend kj and basically we had made it for another band like another band like told us that uh oh to make something in the vein of mgk and so the opportunity came to play that for him and I was like, uh, yeah, sorry to the other band, but I'm going to play this for him, you know, because it was just like the thing, the be thing I had in my head where I was like, this is the best thing I could play for him right now. So I played it and 
yeah, we just sat there and just wrote Sid and Nancy, like, right then, right then and there. Most of it, at least. And then he, like, finished, like, the bridge and stuff, like, with Travis, like, a little later. But, yeah, so it was just, you know, social, like, a right social, you know, setting that just ended up working out. Of course. So it's very interesting to hear. I mean, I'm curious, though, out of all of these projects, it's hard to pick, but which one stands out as one of your favorites, if not your favorite? Um, I mean, the Juice World one is pretty, like, special, you know, because obviously he's not here anymore. Of course. And to me, it feels like I produced on, like, In Utero or something like that from Nirvana. Like, it feels, like, kind of comparable to that. And I feel like he was just, like, he's, like, my probably my favorite rapper ever. Like, even to call him, like, a ragged, like, singer, you know, probably he's more of a singer. I mean, he walks the middle line. That's pretty great. But, uh. I just think he is just insanely prolific. Most people who are good at freestyling aren't good at songwriting and vice versa. Um, where he is just kind of like a once in a generation thing who is able to do both well and at like an elite level. And that just like, obviously why he has so much quality music, you know, because of that skill. And yeah, so getting to produce on an album like that is just like really uh you know, special and it's not something you can expect to happen to you like all the time. And even at the time when it came out, it felt special. You know, it did. It wasn't like it's now special because he died. It was like it had been special the whole time. So, yeah, I feel I feel really good and like confident, like in that being like still really dope. Absolutely. Well, speaking to that, you had mentioned something previously, which was whatever is popular in the underground eventually rises to the mainstream, so to speak. So I say that to say, what are your predictions for the future? I mean, you were very forward thinking previously. What do you think is going to come next? Because we have seen this explosion, obviously, in what people would refer to as emo rap. It's certainly more than that. But what's coming next, in your opinion? Yeah, so I have a few theories. Um, I think next, at least from what I'm seeing in like all the sessions I'm doing and just like what I'm hearing, like in the scene, usually luckily living in LA, you kind of get a little bit of a, uh, a pre like scope into what's to come because a lot of times what the artists do here end up being like what kind of ripples uh, throughout the world. And so I don't think now an artist can start making pop punk music and be be like a breakout success because MGK has already had two number one albums with it like all the emo rappers like shifted to making that kind of music basically because a lot of them grew up on it, you know, like a lot of that's like a lot of their like home base. So like emo rap was almost just, I think a a thing that was like cool that people that's not even really thinking about it kind of ended up making because they were into like, you know, like melodic trap stuff and kind of referencing uh, stuff that they grew up on. And a lot of those artists end up kind of going back to like what they grew up on, which is, pop punk and emo but since that's been around for a while now and that wave has kind of already been going for at least like four or five years um it seems to me like a lot of artists are trying to pivot to also keep doing rock music but uh trying to find like where to land and i think a lot of people are landing on like deftonesy like shoegaze style stuff uh post-punk seems to be having a big uh moment like which is this is great for me and I even see a little bit of like like DMB like drum influence stuff happening a lot in pop music and I can see that going really further but I definitely think 
that the like shoegazy deftones vibe and like even like the new metal thing a little bit seems to be still having a bit of traction and definitely like the post-punk thing like a lot of like the cure and like new order sort of influences seems to be where a lot of those artists are kind of landing on and yeah my prediction would be like then in the next like five years or so that's probably what's going to happen i think a lot of the rage artists too like who like play like the playboy cardi influence is not really going anywhere and if anything like if his next album is like darker like than this one um it might you know it could probably intensify that so i think uh industrial influence seems to be having a big uh moment too so i can see a lot of people going like kind of upping the nine inch nail influence in the production and things like that i think yeah we're just kind of moving i also see like the uh on the flip side of that i also kind of see the early 2000s pop kind of making a little bit of a resurgence in terms of the production too, like more full-time drums, more like kind of fun uh, music you can dance to kind of like, you know what, like Tate McRae uh, is doing with her new album. And yeah, I think uh, even like the indie side on like the indie side of things, it seems like the, the Phoebe Bridgers wave is like, just like in full effect with like the boy genius influence and stuff. So I can see that continuing like the darker that seems to kind of even be breeding into like country and stuff, you know, like alternative country artists kind of like rule the world now, where it's like a mix of like alternative and like folk, like, you know, Jelly Roll, Zach Bryan, Hardy, et cetera, you know, where these uh, artists are mixing like octane rock and, you know, country, which is honestly the stuff I've liked the most from country music in a long time so yeah i think it's an interesting time you know those those would be my bets if it was like a betting thing on the next wave so i've been kind of trying to like work on doing that my own version of like those sort of sounds with depending on the artist you know no i'm pretty much loving all of that especially shoegaze right now of course as you said post-punk having a moment but drum and bass too i mean i have a, certainly an ear for what's coming with that um these are all incredible selections. And I'm curious because you had mentioned an industrial influence. You'd mentioned Nine Inch Nails, but I see your shirt. You have a typo negative shirt. Rest in peace, Peter Steele, of course. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Could you speak a little bit to them? I'm curious. Yeah, I love typo negative. I mean, I've loved, I've I definitely, you know, found I found out about them from just seeing their merch and Hot Topic and on like yeah. uh, Headbangers Ball and stuff. And I just feel like Peter Steele was, uh, if Dracula was a singer, it's Peter Steele, you know, like... <laughs> the way he rolls his R's and stuff. And yeah, just songs, just some of my favorite ballads ever, like songs like love you to death. And uh, even songs like, I don't want to be me. He comes from hardcore too. And then just usually a lot of times, like musicians who come from hardcore, I just can like hear it, you know, in their music, there's always just usually like a, like an authenticity to it that kind of comes from that. Even in like EDM music and stuff, like you can always just usually tell when people know how to make a crowd like move like that. So I think, you know, him being from Carnivore and stuff, uh, you definitely can hear that in Typo. And I mean, they're just, they're the goat bands of goth metal, you know? And I definitely see, like, their, like, influence like that being more popular, too. Like, them via, like, you know, even, like, Evanescence and things like that, especially in, like, female singers. You know, like, me, I produce for, like, Maggie Lindemann and stuff. And, you know, I feel like the song we made on her last album was definitely, like, a heavier... 
not even just because she's a female singer, you know, that's not, that's not it at all. It's just like the tone of the music and like the tone of her singing. I get, I've been getting a lot of that too, is like a lot of people referencing Evanescence. And um, so I definitely, to me, typo and that conversation are a very similar thing. Of course. No, it's so interesting. And of course, you know, I guess you can't mention him, which is also one of my personal favorite bands without mentioning Typo Negative, but it was Typo Negative was far before my generation. And I have just started really appreciating them. So it's really interesting. Love him. I had a song um, come out recently that I did a remix of, um, this came out maybe uh, two months ago um, for Black Veil Brides featuring uh, Vivi from him. And uh, they did a Temple of Love cover which is um sisters of mercy so like i did a remix of of their cover of it and it was just cool really cool to have vv's vocals and to get a like you know write music around his vocals and stuff it was yeah it was awesome that's a dream that's unreal so i guess that brings us to a kind of a broader perspective on on your life and your thoughts on you know the industry you know what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced in your career and how have you overcome them You know, really just like kind of being thrown into the industry and just having to learn how like stuff like publishing splits, how to collect money and how to like make consistent money on it is definitely like a hurdle everyone kind of goes through, you know, and it's like a learned lived experience. Uh, Luckily, I have more of like an insight now and I kind of have like my system locked down more. But there's been a couple of times where, you know, I didn't know like, oh, I need to collect my master's and my publishing. Um, and then, you know, when I learned that, then I go back to like claim my publishing and then you miss out like on like, you know, however long the time was before you start collecting it. So definitely learning how the music business works is, uh, is a growing pain. A lot of people kind of go through. So that's that, that was definitely a big one. Um, and like another thing that's been like, you know, a bit of thing is I actually have like narcolepsy and cataplexy. So I have like a sleeping disorder that kind of, uh, I have to kind of like revolve my life around a little bit. Um, so I still have to work as hard as anyone else, you know, but with like a disadvantage. Um, so that's been a little bit of a, of a thing, but some ways, you know, I've, I think it kind of installed like a drive in me and just kind of like, a um, a wanting to like prove you like myself that I probably wouldn't have had without having like a, like, you know, a crutch kind of installed upon me and like for my, for my health or whatever, you know? So, uh, yeah, mostly that. And just, yeah, just from like the health thing. But other than that, you know, I've, I've, it's been, it's been smooth. Excellent. Well, how do you think in that case, Speaking to technology and artificial intelligence, you know, and the coming advancements, how do you think these advancements in music technology have impacted your work currently and the industry as a whole and will continue to impact it? Yeah, I mean, I've been using AI like a little creatively uh, more recently, and that's been really cool getting to like, I think there's ways to use it really creatively. And it's it's coming regardless you know so you might as well learn how to like work with it than to try and fight it because that's always been a losing battle like throughout all the time as soon as the cat's out of the bag it's cat's out of the bag like you can't put it back uh 
So there's lots of websites and stuff up now that, um, you know, mimic artist voice that you can run a take through and, you know, have your voice sound like their voice. That seems to be like the extent of where it's at at the moment. But one thing I'll do is this is like some sauce for producers for sure is I'll run like stuff like a guitar through like a Billie Eilish AI or something like that. And it'll come out with some really weird things where it sounds like like Billie Eilish trying to like scat a guitar riff or something I wrote, you know, being like, you know, like just like almost like Jonathan Davis, like freak on a leash thing. And like, you know, I'll like take some of those notes and just kind of blend it in with my production and it just has come out with some cool creative results. So that's like what I've been trying to do creatively. One of the things I could see happening, which could be pretty crazy would be, uh, I could definitely see that, being that now you can run your voice through AI simulators and it is accurate to copying someone's vocals, I could see people being like, well, Frank Ocean isn't releasing an album I wish he would release. So some singer-songwriter who's amazing at music and production could probably make a whole album that sounds like Frank Ocean. If they're insecure about their own voice or whatever, they can run their voice to the AI and put out like a AI-like you know, Frank Ocean album or whatever and maybe some fans will be like oh i like this more you know so it's pretty crazy it's going to be unreal yes i think you have a better read on it than i do of course but the next few years are going to be insane um outside of music michael what are some sources of inspiration for you personally some things that you enjoy i enjoy lord of the rings plot and <laughs> uh the tolkien universe um i I like lifting weights. I love snowboarding. Um, I like my family, you know, like I just, uh, but mostly, honestly, mostly music. Like most everything is through music. Like my friends are all music, like musicians. When I hang out with my friends, usually we make, we make music. Yeah. Uh, I pretty much is like a day in day out sort of thing for me, to be honest. Of course. I, I'll make music. I'll binge watch some TV shows and I try and like go to the gym pretty regularly just to like, you know, keep my head together. Of course. Well, it sounds amazing. And I think that brings us to our final question in terms of future projects, in terms of what we all have to look forward to from you. Could you speak a little bit to what's next? Yeah. So, uh, I announced this recently or like we all did. Um, so I started a new band with Shavo from system of a down. Um, and it's pretty pretty stoked uh we have taylor barber from left to suffer who's uh the vocalist i just did a their new album that's about to come out um and my other friend alejandro arena is uh the other singer and guitar player in it uh scary pool party as other people might know him um who's just like inhumanly amazing musician uh you know a lot of people probably saw him he got like second place in american idol in 2019 uh, so him and Taylor kind of singing back and forth, um, very like system with breakdowns is the way I would, I would put it because Chavo has such a like unique riff style and, you know, he's written a lot of amazing riffs for system. And like, you know, if you hear a system style riff, it's just kind of instantly recognizable, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's going to be called Shav and yeah, we're, the album's getting mixed like right now we're like we just started the mixing process we wrote like 16 songs 
together. Me and Shavo had been riding it for about a year and a half maybe. And yeah, so that's finally like kind of like coming together now where we'll play some shows, you know, maybe do a little touring, some fests, just the fun stuff, you know, but I think people are going to like the music. Um, we like the music. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm confident since system hasn't been releasing new music at the moment, this is like music from someone from that band that is sounds like doesn't, I'm not going to say we don't sound just like system because Taylor doesn't sound like surge, you know, and it's, there's more screaming there's like death. There's songs that are like borderline death core and beat down. There are songs that are much more melodic and almost like Ariel's esque, you know? Uh, so I think it'll scratch an itch for people like that in that situation. Um, yeah. And then I just have a lot of singles coming out with a bunch of various artists, you know, some bands, some rappers. Uh, I had a song to, uh, with Kid Cudi come out recently. That's going to be on his next album as well. Uh, so that's pretty great. You know, I love Cuddy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I know there's more I could, that I could list off the top of my head, but I have so many just things in the canon that like, I'm not even, uh, I'm blanking on everything I have coming out, but I had kind of like really focused on finishing the Shavo project with him. I mean, I love system of down, you know, like I, I, absolutely adore that band and have since i was like a young kid so getting to make an album with you know and play produce it and then play guitar in the band is like just like really cool and also i have a did writing sessions with corn recently whether wow. any of those songs see like the light of day or not uh still amazing to like sit in a room and like play with them as a band you know that was so sick like jonathan's amazing really cool dude kind of been like a big brother figure to me so uh yeah things have been been going good for me i definitely can't complain yes well it all sounds really exciting obviously i'm a huge fan and i speak on behalf of a lot of people when i say you know i'm looking forward to it for everything that you're doing so thank you for taking the time today to speak with me it's going to be an amazing you know future dude thank you so much i appreciate you having me of course. I appreciate you so much, Michael. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks.